0: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. A few quick words from our sponsors before we get started. The opening week of the NFL is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Promo code LOCKEDON gets you 20% off at MacWeldon.com. Today's show is also brought to you by Abco Safety You'll hear from all of our sponsors throughout the show during various ad breaks for special offers. Be sure to follow the podcast on whatever podcast app you use, be it Google, iTunes, Spotify, or something else. That's the best way to get our updates daily. In today's episode, we will have the lead story focusing on news and notes coming out from Cincinnati today, including a practice report and team voted captains. In the second segment, I'll take your questions submitted on Twitter And in the third segment, Joe wraps up setting expectations for the Cincinnati Bengals season in 2019. Now your Locked On Bengals lead story, I'm Jake Lisco. The Bengals announced team captains today, and none of them should be terribly surprising with quarterback Andy Dalton, running back Giovanni Bernard, wide receiver A.J. Green, defensive tackle Geno Atkins, safety Sean Williams, and special teamer and safety Clayton Fedgelum, getting the nod as voted by their teammates. All of these guys have been around the team for a long time and are either the best players on the team in the case of A.J. Green and Geno Atkins, or veteran leaders in the case of Andy Dalton, Giovanni Bernard, and Sean Williams. Clayton Fedulam is clearly the team's best special teamer, especially with Cody Core being departed to New York. I find it noteworthy that there are no offensive linemen on the list. With Clint Bowling no longer in Cincinnati and Andrew Whitworth several years departed now, none of the players on the offensive line have stepped up enough to be a team leader. I asked Billy Price, who he thought the leaders were on the offensive line when I was in Cincinnati a few weeks ago, and he said that guys like John Jerry and Bobby Hart were the leaders of the offensive line, But neither of those guys are veterans or mainstays on the Cincinnati team, and neither of them are good enough to earn votes based on skill. On the defensive side of the ball, you might be wondering why Sean Williams is the captain. He's another guy that's a veteran. I think he is a strong leader for the defense, generally speaking. Jermaine Pratt mentioned him when I asked him who the leaders were on the defensive side of the ball after mentioning a few other linebackers. But I do think it's interesting that they voted for Sean Williams and not one of the linebackers, Preston Brown or Nick Vigil. I think that just tells you about where the leadership is on the defensive side of the ball. Clayton Fedgelum, as far as a special teams captain, is no surprise whatsoever. He is as close to a special teams ace as Cincinnati has, and I think he could be due for a Pro Bowl one of these years if he gets the right recognition. Vigilum has also stepped up when his number's been called on the defensive side of the ball, producing some memorable highlights last year, including essentially winning the game against the Colts in week one when Sean Mullins went out with an injury. So those are your team captains as voted upon by the team. No Joe Mixon despite his enthusiasm for his teammates, with Giovanni Bernard taking that leadership mantle up in the running back room. The Bengals also held their first practice of the regular season with a published practice report on Wednesday, Cordy Glenn, A.J. Green, and Travion Williams all did not practice. Of course, A.J. Green is going to miss a couple weeks. Travion Williams also expected to miss a couple weeks. But Cordy Glenn is a bit of a surprise that he's still dealing with a concussion. He's still in the protocol. He, along with Travion Williams, were apparently on the rehab field. Glenn noteworthy did some stretching and agility work, according to Jay Morrison. And I agree with Jay that tomorrow will be a key indicator as to whether or not Cordy Glenn is going to be able to suit up this week. Zach Taylor did voice confidence in Andre Smith, the backup left tackle, but with Seattle's defensive line now featuring Jadeveon Clowney, that is not something that really bodes in the Bengals' favor and would take away any long-developing pass play and would generally make running the ball a lot harder. The Bengals had a pretty hard time run blocking last year, and Joe Mixon found a way to get it done anyway, but against a team like Seattle on the road, you really want to be as at full strength as you can be. Limited in practice today was Auden Tate, So the Bengals are looking thin at wide receiver and Farrell Cooper may be pressed into action in his first game. And it's noteworthy, and we've talked about it, he's not even listed on the depth chart for special teams, which means, I guess, that the Bengals see him as primarily a backup wide receiver. He runs just about as fast as Auden Tate, but doesn't have the spectacular catch radius or hands that Auden Tate has showed us so far. So I think if we're getting to the point where Farrell Cooper has to come into the game for one of John Ross or Damian Willis, things aren't going very well for the Cincinnati offense. Also listed on the injury report, but as full participants in practice, were Andrew Brown, who is currently listed as the third string defensive end, and we'll see if he's active this week, Clayton Fedulum who's dealing with an ankle injury, but he's expected to play, Dre Kirkpatrick, who apparently has an Achilles injury, this is news to us, but he is also expected to play against Seattle as a full participant in practice, and John Ross was also a full participant going into his second week of practice before the open of the regular season. The big question with injuries headed into week one, I think, boils down simply to Cordy Glenn. If Cordy Glenn's healthy, then the offensive line gets a lot better with at least one competent tackle out there to deal with Jadavion Clowney and the rest of that Seattle front seven. For the Seahawks today, a few notables on the limited practice list, including LJ Collier, DK Metcalf, Ziggy Ansa, Shaquem Griffin, and Jadeavion Clowney, although I would say Shaquem Griffin is definitely expected to play, and I think Jadevian Clowney is certainly gonna play, and we'll just have to find out if he's going to get a full workload or not. Amongst those not participating in practice for the Seahawks were Dwayne Brown and Mike Iupati, both of whom have lower leg injuries, Iupati with a foot, Dwayne Brown with a knee, and those are both worth keeping an eye on with the strength of the Cincinnati Bengals defensive line. This has been your Cincinnati Bengals lead story from Jake Lisko of Locked On Bengals. The Locked On Bengals podcast for the opening week of NFL action is sponsored by Mac Weldon. Head over to MacWeldon.com to check out their collection of premium men's essentials. And what I'm looking at is this Air Knit X Boxer Brief. Soft, lightweight microfiber maximizes airflow Moisture wicking odor fighting finish to keep you dry and fresh to the end of your workout. I don't know about you, Joe, but
1: that sounds like heaven to me. Yeah, that's exactly what I need. Well, when you go to MacWeldon.com, make sure you use the promo code LOCKED ON for 20% off your first order.
0: And not only are you saving 20% on your first order, you can also enjoy their guarantee that if you don't like your first pair of Mac Weldon clothing, you can keep it. And they'll still refund you, no questions asked. So you have really no reason not to go try this. Remember, that's MacWeldon.com, and you can find them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your first order. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And I'm back for segment two of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. This segment's only going to be me. But if you don't want to hear me answer your questions as submitted on Twitter, you can go ahead and skip ahead to Joe's segment. Joe will talk about the expectations he has for the 2019 season and try to get your expectations lined up. Because this week, all the power rankings come out. The Bengals are bottom four or five on almost all of them. ESPN has them winning only three games, being in contention for the first overall pick. I don't think they're going to be quite that bad, and I don't think Joe does either. So you can check out his opinion on that in the third segment. Without further ado, I'm going to get into your questions, though. The first one comes from Alex Grigsby, at agrigsby81 on Twitter, a frequent asker of questions to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Welcome back, Alex. He asks, are the Bengals a better or worse team now than they were in week one of 2018? My gut reaction is to say, what's different in this team this year compared to last year? And those differences are, at left tackle right now, we're looking at Andre Smith. If it's Cordy Glenn, fine, that's the same. At left guard, it's a rookie, Michael Jordan, coming out of the fourth round. I would say that's worse than Clint Bowling. Center is, is Trey Hopkins. That should be roughly a wash from Billy Price in his first year. Maybe a little bit better. Right guard, John Miller, that's definitely an improvement, at least on paper, over Alex Redmond. Bobby Hart is the same. All the weapons are essentially the same, except the notable absence Of AJ Green with all those changes the offensive line might be roughly a wash if Cordy Glenn plays at least but wide receiver inevitably looks a little bit worse without AJ Green out there and Damian Willis instead even with the emergence of Tyler Boyd who we didn't know anything about last year the wide receiver core and the skill positions are weighed down by AJ Green's absence and so on offense I'd say they're a little bit worse. On the defensive side of the ball, I think we all feel a little bit better about their pass rush at this point in time than they ended up looking last year, but going into the season, we all thought the pass rush would be really strong. Carl Lawson looks like he's going to be a world beater if he can stay healthy all season. Geno Atkins is still Geno Atkins. Carlos Dunlap is still Carlos Dunlap, and they have a lot of depth here. We felt good about the depth last year, too, with guys like Jordan Willis, but they've added to the fold Andrew Brown, who's still healthy. Kerry Wynn, who looks like he can play a role, and Jordan Willis, who continues to stick around and occasionally show off that athleticism, and I've started to notice that he especially shows off that athleticism when he's not engaged. So I like the defensive line a little bit more this year, but we had high expectations last year too, and that's probably more recency bias than anything. That being said, I like the secondary this year, I think, a little bit more than last year because we know a lot more about Jesse Bates. I was pretty skeptical about Bates after they cut George Iloka last year and named him their starter. He was a second round rookie, and there was really no way to know what to expect from him. That was a big surprise move, and then he went out and showed out well. He should be better this year. William Jackson, another guy we're expecting to continue to be good. BW Webb looks like roughly a wash from Dark Denard, who's going to start the year on the physically unable to perform list, so the defense loses Vontez Burfict, who I don't know if we had much hope for at this point last year, but with Preston Brown and Nick Vigil being your one and two guys and a defense that expects to be mostly in the nickel, you don't feel great about the linebacking core. The defense is probably roughly the same, and with the loss of AJ Green on the offensive side of the ball, it's hard to see the team, the players, being much better than they were on week one of 2018. There just aren't any starting additions besides John Miller and arguably Trey Hopkins to make them any better. The return of Carl Lawson makes them better than they were in week six of last year, but he played the first couple weeks of the season, and so he doesn't really count when you're comparing week one to week one. That said, the big difference comes down to the coaching staff. If Lou Anarumo and Zach Taylor show us that they know how to game plan and how to use the players on this team the way they've talked about and that they're going to do something different, That could be all the difference. The personnel is pretty much the same, and this is the same personnel at its core that the Bengals have rolled with the last couple of years. The question is, how much of their failure or success is tied up in the coaching staff, and we'll get a pretty good indication of that this year. The next question comes from Zachary Insprucker, and I hope I got your name right. I remember you saying last week that people butcher your name. That's at Z underscore C2719 on Twitter. He asks, I'm not too knowledgeable on concussion protocol, but what do you think the chances are that Glenn makes it out by Sunday? And how many sacks does Seattle get if he doesn't suit up? Cordy Glenn, the big indicator for him, is going to come tomorrow. He was on the rehab field today, which is generally a sign that he's in the last phase of the concussion protocol. And if that went well and we see him practice tomorrow, there's a really good chance he suits up. If it's Marvin Lewis and you don't practice on Wednesday or Thursday coming off the concussion protocol, it's a safe bet that you're not going to play. Cordy Glenn's been about two weeks in the protocol now, though, and if he gets back to a full practice this week, I think we could expect to see him out there. That said, Thursday's practice is really the big indicator, so if you're listening to this on Thursday, take a look on Twitter and see if Cordy Glenn is practicing in full today, and if he is, then he'll probably be able to go. If Glenn doesn't play, that means Jadavion Clowney and the Seattle pass rush, which may or may not include Ziggy who who is limited in practice on Wednesday, gets to go up against Bobby Hart, who is one of the worst pass-blocking tackles in the league last year, and Andre Smith, who, while he's fine for a backup, is not someone you want to run out there to start at left tackle against the likes of Jadeveon Clowney. If Glenn doesn't play, I'd say Seattle has a pretty good chance at at least four sacks, but the Bengals' offense does get rid of the ball pretty quickly, at least that's what we expect, and I think we also expect that we'll see a lot more of the running game. The game script may turn pretty quickly on its head against the Bengals if Seattle manages to run the ball early, though, and that's going to be the big indicator as to whether or not the Bengals can stick with the running game in Seattle. The next question comes from Caleb at OSU Bengals. We heard Joe's Week 1 prediction. What is Jake's? Caleb, welcome back to the mailbag. I'm going to say Seattle doesn't quite cover. I think 9.5 points might be too many, and this might be that I'm a homer. And looking at the recent historical trends of Seattle's home openers and Safeco under Pete Carroll, it's not a very rosy picture, but I think the Bengals will at least cover. I don't know that the Bengals will win, and I don't feel very confident in a Bengals win in Week 1. All offseason, really, since we've had a look at the schedule, we've had this game as a loss, and I don't really feel differently about that right now. I think Seattle is going to be able to keep the Bengals' nickel defense off the field and keep the pass rush from putting its ears back, as it were, and rushing the passer. They'll have to defend the run. If the Bengals manage to get out to an early lead and force Seattle to pass the ball, maybe they get up 14 points, maybe there's a turnover, that's the way the Bengals manage to steal the game, is by getting out in front early and letting Carl Lawson and Geno Atkins disrupt the Seattle passing game, which may only have Tyler Lockett as a dangerous weapon. That said, Tyler Lockett is still really scary, and he's going to be going against B.W. Webb as the Bengals are without Darquez Denard, and Lockett's got a lot of speed to him. The Bengals also still look vulnerable to tight ends and running backs in the receiving game, and Chris Carson projects to have a pretty good game against the Bengals. We don't know if they're going to be able to stop the run yet in the regular season. We don't even really know what defense they're going to run. Rumors are swirling that the Bengals, especially with only keeping four linebackers, are going to come out in a lot of 5-2 kind of looks. And that means Carl Lawson and Sam Hubbard might be de facto outside linebackers dropping into coverage uh, occasionally with Nick Vigil and Preston Brown getting most of the duties inside. And the 5-2 might enable them to, with a little bit of extra weight out there, handle the run a little bit better while keeping some of their better players on the field. That said, I still see the Seahawks winning by six. I'd call it something like twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-one, thirty, twenty-four, 27, 21, 30, 24, something like that. Bengals cover. I think they hit the over, but anything could happen. The Bengals could get blown out in this one. It's really hard to know without having seen any of this stuff in the regular season yet. The next question comes from E. James at Skyline 315. Oh, I want Skyline so bad right now. In the last pod, Joe mentioned that the Seahawks could use our personnel to keep the Bengals out of their nickel defense and lost and on the field. If that turns out to be true, what can the Bengals do to counter this? I think I just talked about this a little bit, and the answer is getting five defensive linemen on the field and treating a couple of them as linebackers and kind of going with the 3-4 base defense. It'll look like a 5-2 because there will be five defensive linemen out there, but two of those guys are edge guys every time anyway, so really they're getting an extra interior defensive lineman out there, so maybe it's Billings, Glasgow, and Atkins for your first team, and that lets them stack up a little bit better against the run. The weakness there is you're asking Sam Hubbard or Carl Lawson, potentially, maybe as uh, Kerry Wynn or one of the other defensive ends, Jordan Willis, you're asking one of those guys to drop into a zone from time to time. Sam Hubbard probably can do it. Carl Lawson has the athleticism to do it. But you really want those guys rushing the passer. So I think that that's one thing that they can do if Seattle goes heavy in 12 personnel, meaning two tight ends, and tries to run the ball a lot. And if DK Metcalf isn't healthy, and he was limited in Wednesday's practice as well, you could see a lot of 12 personnel from the Seahawks. I think the 5-2 could be an answer. They certainly have the personnel for it. But we really don't know what Luana Arumos defense is going to be, and I'm really excited to find out. The next question comes from Andrew at Andrew88G. Welcome back to the mailbag. I think we've got a lot of repeat questioners today. If the Bengals beat the Seahawks, exactly how high up in the national rankings or in the national media's minds will we move? I think the Bengals would end up somewhere around the middle of the pack if they managed to pull off a win in Seattle, because that would mean that a lot of things are contrary to the pundits' beliefs. That means Zach Taylor is the right hire, at least for his first game. It means Lou Anaruma has figured something out and done something different, something we're not expecting, to stop the Seahawks. I would put them right around 16 if they manage to beat the Seahawks on the road, and if they manage to rattle off a few wins at the beginning of the season, they're easily a top quarter of the league team. The last question we have time for in the mailbag today comes from David Bullen, at David Bullen on Twitter. What is the worst and best one-on-one matchup against the Seahawks? The worst, I think, is very easy. That's Jadeveon Clowney against either of the Bengals' tackles, especially if it's Bobby Hart and Andre Smith. The best matchup is a little bit harder to come by. Seattle doesn't have the most vaunted, right side of the offensive line or inside offensive line, so I like Geno Atkins' matchup in this game. I like Carlos Dunlap's matchup in this game. Dwayne Brown on the left side might make things hard for whoever's lining up at right end for the Bengals, so if that's Carl Lawson or uh, Carlos Dunlap, that might be a little bit more challenging than rushing on the left side of the defense. The other matchup that I really like in this one ends up being Tyler Boyd. Seattle doesn't have great corners and I think Tyler Boyd is a really good receiver so I like his ability to win matchups against whoever Seattle puts across from him. And I think he will have to win a lot because Seattle has one of the best linebacking groups in the league especially in the nickel led by Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. The safeties get a little bit worse out there with Earl Thomas's departure so there might be some success to be had for the tight ends and the seams but running against Bobby Wagner is still a tall order. I like Tyler Boyd in this one. I'm going to take another break and we'll come back with Joe's third segment talking about expectations for the season in 2019. It's time to celebrate. Football is finally back. and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football has huge week one contests. The first one starts this Thursday night when Chicago and Green Bay kick off the season in a single-game showdown with $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. Draft your single-game showdown lineup and feel the sweat like never before. It's simple. You draft just six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code LOCKEDON will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching a game quite like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. Get in on the season opener action. Download the DraftKings app now and use code LOCKEDON. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. And new users don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter my code LOCKEDON to get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. That's code LOCKEDON only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. MyBookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff. If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag today to play
1: so you win and get paid. My turn to wrap a little bit with you guys. It's Joe Goodberry here of the Locked On Bengals podcast. And I want to talk about expectations, about setting your expectations. What, what do we take from the national media and the rankings, the power rankings, the expectations? You know, when they say the Bengals would win two, three, four, five games, a lot of them. Even, you know, whether it's based on analytics or just personal opinion of how the Bengals are, how far can we take that? How much should we take that? You know, should we say, okay, the national media says they're supposed to be bad, so I should expect a poor season. I should expect them to go out there and be bad, maybe not entertaining. I think there's many layers to this, and I guess it depends on who you are as a football fan. Uh, I mean, we should start with the facts, right? Let's, Let's lay some groundwork of what facts are. Is they are already injured? For ninety percent of fans and analysts, you'd say if they can stay healthy, they'll be they'll be all right. They'll be a good team. Well, they're already injured. We can say that there's a new head coach, and because of it, it comes with some unknowns, a lot of unknowns. Could be positive, could be negative, depending on how you look at it. But one fact is that new coaches typically start off slow. Paul Denner looked into this to exhaustion and. The Athletic, I mean, in a good way, to exhaustion. But, you know, he put it out there. Chances are, if they go 2-2 two and two in the first four weeks, that's good. We should be happy with 2-2. Two and two. Chances are 1-3. When you look at the numbers without A.J. Green in the past, not very good. They're winning about five and a half games out of 16. So if Green's not there for that first m- month, again, that's maybe 1-3. Now, I'm not saying they will go 1-3, right? This is part of expectations. Just because somebody says it doesn't mean it's going to be happening. It's football any given Sunday. I know this. I love football. Of course I know this. You can line up. You can be any team on any week. We see it all the time. And there's how many games in this league now that you watch where it's seven-point games? A lot of them. Most of them. Most games are seven-point games at this point. And those can flip any way, depending on a couple plays. And the Bengals were on the positive end of a few of those last year, remember? The Falcons game, the Dolphins game, the Bucks game. Were they better than the Bucks and Dolphins? Sure. I, I would say so. The Colts game too to start. Yeah. Everyone talks about how they started the year. They won all of those close games. That's not typical. Regression probably should set in. Now this is analytics speaking. Regression should happen where they just won half of those. And then now we're not talking about that start where they were five and three. We're talking about that start where they were four and four. Or they were three and five. Same team. Doesn't mean the team's any worse, any better. The record really has very little to do with how good the team is, in my opinion. So when we see it and they say five wins, that doesn't mean that they are a bad team, doesn't mean they're a good team either. Team good teams miss the playoffs. Bad teams make the playoffs. We've had bad Bengals teams make the playoffs in recent memory. Um 2015 was standing because they were a good team with a bad quarterback situation going in. But point being here, I want to stay on on task here is that it's okay if the national media or even the local media or anyone that's covering the Bengals or even a fan says I don't think they're going to be good this year. I think 4 wins, 5 wins. Fine. I can see why they'd say that. If someone says 10 wins, I can see why you'd say that. There's a lot of individual talent on this team. I wish they were better on the offensive line. In fact, if, if Clint Bowling didn't retire and Jonah Williams was playing, I'd feel pretty good about this offensive line. Right now, it's the same unit as last year. And they started off good, like I said. But now that they don't have those pieces, I don't feel as good. Now that they're missing A.J. Green, I don't feel as good. But I understand why. If Joe Mixon in this offense... Andy Dalton in this offense, I've been banging that drum all offseason, have I not, guys? If you listen every day, you know that I think Andy Dalton is a great fit for Zach Taylor Ram-style offense, and I think Joe Mixon's even better fit. I think Joe Mixon could be Todd Gurley, MVP-type level. If you have that, you're winning some games, and with a quarterback that can be super efficient and not turn the ball over, you can win some games. I think most of it depends, really, on the defensive side of the ball. Are they a bottom-five defense again? Or does this defensive line that we think are really good able to, to rise and be exactly what we think? And I don't think it's Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins that are going to be the difference makers. We've seen them at their best. It didn't change the course of the season for the Bengals. I think it's Carl Lawson. I think it's William Jackson playing better. I don't think it's the linebackers because we've seen these linebackers before. They're not changing. Sure, the scheme will help here and there, different positions. But I think it's the couple guys. It's the Carl Lawson, it's the maybe Ryan Glasgow. It's the Jesse Bates. It's the young guys that we aren't sure still of what their ceiling is. Can they take you to a new level? That's why I think on offense, John Ross is still one of the key players on this team in terms of their success, in terms of how high can this team actually go. If John Ross turns into John Ross from Washington, we're not missing A.J. Green for that first month. Have you seen Seattle's secondary? Tell me you can name more than one guy with confidence and know who he is. So if John Ross is who we expect, well, that's great. And I mean in a good way. Some of you may expect him to be bad. So um, that wouldn't be great. But anyways, so expectations, right? We expect them to be bad. Doesn't mean we can't enjoy the game. For me, I love football no matter what. Win or lose. Does that mean... I'm not a true fan. I don't care. No, I, I care. I hope they win every game. But I find the evaluation part interesting. I find the X's and O's interesting. I find what is Zach Taylor going to do on offense differently to get these guys going without AJ Green, especially. How will he manage Tyler Eifert? How will he now manage the extended Giovanni Bernard? Can he get him more than five touches a game? Can we get him up to ten touches a game somehow, some way? Make that contract worth it. I'm a. You guys know me. I'm a Giovanni Bernard fanboy. He was my guy that draft year. I said, of all running backs, give me Giovanni Bernard and we'll find success. So when they got him, you know, it doesn't happen all the time where you've got like five guys and your team drafts one of them. So I've been on that train for a long time. I think Gio can help this team. How can Zach Taylor get him the ball? And we still need to see Joe Mixon get the ball in the passing game because I think he can be as dominant as any running back in the league in that phase. And then on defense, as we were talking on Twitter yesterday, people say, well, How do you keep Carl Lawson on the field if the team's going to run the ball a lot? And I said, well, maybe it's the 3-4 defense, right? Maybe they use some of those hybrid looks. They they showed a little bit in camp and say, against the teams, they're going to force us to take Carl Lawson off the field. Because remember this. Remember Marvin Lewis' defense. They couldn't keep Carl Lawson on the field. If a team went out there with two tight ends or a fullback, Carl Lawson was off the field. And Carl Lawson couldn't get in the game. There'd be games where we're 20 snaps into the game and Carl Lawson's played two snaps. Two third and longs where the team went out there with three wide receivers. That's it. That's inexcusable for a guy that I think could be a cornerstone player. So when I, I think of this new defense, and if the, one of the things, if like if I'm Duke Tobin and the management of the Bengals and they come to me and they, we're looking for a defensive coordinator, I'd say, how do we get Carl Lawson on the field? I don't want it to be dictated by what the offenses do to us. So... If you present with, well, in those games we'll do we'll be more multiple. We'll show up five-two guys. A five-two is really a, a three-four defense. It's just the edge guys are are playing the edge a little bit harder, playing the defensive line a little bit harder. So you, you are out there with a five-two, a three-four defense, and you're and you've got defensive linemen on the field. And by the way, if you don't know, if you don't remember from camp, that was uh, Billings at nose tackle, Glasgow and Atkins at the end spots. Hubbard and Lawson on the edge. Now, I don't know where Carlos Dunlap fits in there, but um, we'll have to see. And, you know, if that comes up and, and we're in week one and they show that against Seattle, and Seattle doesn't know what to expect, Zach Taylor said, I don't want to put anything on film. I want to keep Seattle guessing in terms of the defense. I think Seattle's got a good idea what the offense will look like. But if the defense comes out and it's different, you could really mess them up. It could change your whole summer game planning. If they come out there in a 3-4 look running some LeBeau stuff like the coaches they hired. So, expectations. We expect things. It's like the draft. You know me. I love the draft. When I'm like, oh, Billy Price, I'm not sure he's worth a first-round pick. And I'm only picking on him now because he's recent. But I'm not sure Billy Price is worth worth a first-round pick because of this reason. Because short arms, tightness, because he's currently injured. It's not that I don't like the guy. It's not that I'm rooting for him to fail. So, it's like this team. If you say, I only think they're going to win six games doesn't make you any less of a fan it's because you're looking at past history to predict future success so looking at this Bengals team and where they're currently at can't stay healthy issues on the offensive line massive issues on the O-line might be the worst offensive line in the league could be linebackers might be the worst in the league it's hard to overcome a position that drags you down that bar but it doesn't mean it has to happen it doesn't mean it will happen it just means chances are probably in that favor but when the game kicks off Sunday, anyone can do it. Anything can happen. Crazy stuff happens. That's why we love football. I think that's really why we love football. Because anything can happen on during the game on Sunday. A fumble. An interception. A guy breaks off a, a magical play. Joe Mixon stiff-arms someone and goes 70 yards. It can happen. And it changes the tie at the course of the game. So, expectations. You know, I just, I'm just bringing it up because a lot of people are with people recently and it's okay to feel differently about it it doesn't make you any less of a fan if you're a fan that thinks they're gonna go 16 and 0 win the super bowl i love those guys because they're perpetually positive positive. and you know what it does they'll say well i think this guy's good at this or, or or he's good at that or i really like this guy this sam hubbard's gonna have a breakout year you know it makes me look at those players differently and think well maybe they could if they do this and then the, the negative the overly negative people that say ah oh, they're gonna win they're going to go 2-14. Zach Taylor has no experience. The staff he put together is very inexperienced. Andy Dalton needs to be replaced. The offensive line is terrible. It's a terrible mix between Dalton and, and the O-line. We're supposed to lean on Joe Mixon. We've got a terrible O-line. Fair points, right? I could see it. I understand why you say that. So it makes you think of it that way and think, yeah, there are some issues. So maybe the chances are they go 8-8. Eight and eight. But isn't that what everyone predicts? Right? When you don't think your team's that good or not going to make the playoffs, say, yeah, maybe 8 8, 7 9. By the way, I predicted seven wins. Some people said I was being overly negative. Some people said I was too positive, right? And the same, because that's the Bengals right now. If you said seven wins, you're going to see, you're going to get half the people mentioning you and half the people saying overly positive. The other half, overly negative. So it's going to be interesting. I think they could shock a lot of people. I, I, I really do, because of Mixon, because of Dalton, because I do like the pieces on the defense. I just hope it's up to Zach Taylor. And Lou Anarumo to craft something we haven't seen yet, to give us something different, to create that spark, to surprise us as the fans, to surprise other teams. Imagine that. Because that's something we really haven't done lately in the Marvin Lewis tenure in the last 16 years. in the great words of Marvin Jones back in like 2015, we have to be uncommon.